0: We'll be everybody and welcome back to Galaxy Moonbeam Night Sight. We are the retro show where we talk about all those wonderful baby boomer years growing up. I'm Mike. I'm Smitty. We've got a great show again today and we're so happy you're back. Uh, Smitty, it's almost springtime. It is. Here almost. in Southern California. The rains are over. The sun is out. It's a beautiful day to talk about. Nostalgia, nostalgia. yes. What do we got on tap today, Smitty?
1: Well, Mike, we've got a good show that we hope everybody's going to enjoy. And we have a guest with us in our studio who we're very happy to welcome to our program for the very first time. His name is Tom Dulaney. He's a good friend of both you and I, Mike. And we're going to talk today about American Motors. Remember American Motors, the Rambler, and all those fun cars? We've got our friend Tom here who is going to talk with us about that. And a lot of good information we're going to share. Tom, welcome to Galaxy. See Moonbeam Nightside. Thank you. American Motors, Tom, you've been interested in American Motors cars for quite a while, and you've been a collector of American Motors vehicles. You've got quite an interesting background on that. Tell us, first of all, a little bit how you got interested in collecting American Motors vehicles.
2: I'd be happy to, and thank you for having me in your beautiful studio, talking into your uh, RCA 77 microphone. (laughs) I see all your awards on the wall. There's a couple of reel-to-reels next to me. Even the uh, lamp is a beautiful antique and (laughs) wall clocks.
1: Well, so thank you, Tom.
2: my uh, my interest in American Motors Corporation started in the uh, early 1980s. I was living uh, near Lake Zurich, Illinois, where I went to high school in a small community called Kildare, and my friend across the street, Daniel G. Gladowski, got his driver's license about a year before I did, and he bought a 1971 American Motors Corporation Javelin. And it had a V8 engine, it was a 304, which was a small one, and an automatic transmission, and it was green, and we had a lot of fun adventures in that car, and I thought it looked like the car from Mad Max, because that movie had just come out around the early 80s, and it was a really cool movie, and uh, we had some really uh, fun adventures cruising around in that Javelin.
1: That sounds like fun, Tom, and that was sort of your first exposure to uh, American Motors, Vehicles with that javelin?
2: It was. And then what happened uh, when I uh, graduated high school, I uh, traveled around with my dad for a year, and then I settled in Encinitas, California in 1986. And um, there was uh, what I thought was a very typical stereotype of California people. There was a muscular blonde guy and a beautiful uh, blonde woman, and they were walking down the sidewalk, and they got into a car that was bright yellow, and it looked kind of like Dan's javelin. But I noticed on the side of it, it had a circle with three letters, and it said A-M-X, and he started it up, and it was loud and powerful, and they burned rubber going down Coast Highway 101. And I was like, wow, that is really cool. That looks even better than the Javelin. That's the two seater AMX model. So I had to have one. I was in love. <laughs> You've
1: got a real nice website where I know you've got some pictures of your cars. We'll give your website before the show's over so people can check that out. But that's very interesting, Tom, about how you got interested in that. You saw those cars, and you said, hey, i got to have one of those. And that led from one car to another to another. I know you've got more than one of them. Let's talk a little bit about the history of American Motors. Uh, they were formed in 1954, uh, the merger of Nash and Hudson. Hudson. And what can you tell us a little bit about the early history of AMC, how it was formed?
2: Well, in the AMC hobby, uh, some people trace our roots to uh, right about the turn of the century, the early 1902, 1905, and uh, there was the Jeffrey Bicycle Company, which uh, developed a motorized carriage, because in those early days of the automobile, they were quite rare, and they were sort of like a, a Surrey that was motorized you know they were very simple you know structurally mechanically and um there were various uh mergers and buyouts and iterations of companies but our roots of american motors corporation can be traced all the way back to the Jeffries bicycle company and there's a wonderful museum in kenosha wisconsin mm-hmm. uh, that documents uh, some of the early models and a lot of pictures and it's a really great opportunity if you find yourself in southeast wisconsin right there on lake michigan there's a, a great uh, historical museum that documents uh, all the phases of the development that led to the american motors corporation
0: you've mentioned the marriage between hudson motor car company and nash in 1954 tom you- We also want to mention that Kelvinator was an important component in the marriage, the merger of those companies. And Kelvinator, as I recall, made refrigerators. They did. did. They They made refrigerators.
1: They did. They sure did, uh, Mike. And uh, it's interesting that a lot of these, sort of as a sideline, a lot of these uh, automobile manufacturers had arms that manufactured appliances. Uh, General Motors did. There was a General Motors refrigerator, uh, Kelvinator, Nash Kelvinator. So a lot of these had sidelines building appliances. Most of them refrigerators.
0: And to go back a few years before that, there was quite a uh, quite a combination of of these American giants at the time in the war effort, World War II. Uh, of course, we talk about the Jeeps now and again on sure. our shows. The uh, the GI Jeeps. They yeah. were made by a number. of of different companies that came together to create the components that made the Jeep. Probably the world-known workhouse of World War II was the Jeep as well as rifles and parts and little trinkets and gizmos and armaments and everything else. So you take a couple of big car companies and you put them together, and here comes World War II, and there was a, a lot of manufacturing of parts not related to automobiles that contributed to the war effort. They came back together after the war. In the fifties, to create, of course, the marriage of Nash and Hudson, mm-hmm. and right up to and including the world known Rambler. Yes, everybody. Well, growing up in the fifties and sixties, everybody had a neighbor, or relative that had a Rambler. A Rambler, me exactly. included. Yeah. My uncle Mel had a Rambler station wagon <laughs> that he was very proud of. And Tom might go into a little more detail on the on the world known cliche. Uh, known as the Rambler, oh, it ran like a Rambler, but it it was a workhorse like a Cadillac. Did you ever own a Rambler, or have you ever ridden in a real Rambler, Tom? Uh,
2: yes, I did have a, a Rambler American. Uh, it was in in the '60s. I don't remember the exact year. It was a straight six. Uh, um, Rambler <clears throat> was known for uh, uh, it was a, a secretary car, or it was a, a fuel efficient, you know, good gas mileage. Uh, reliable. My interest in these cars rests primarily in the muscle cars of the late 60s and the early 70s when American Motors uh, kind of late in the game jumped on the bandwagon for the cars that were not fuel efficient. I like the vehicles that guzzle, not sip the gas. (laughs)
1: And there's kind of a contrast, isn't there, Tom? I mean, you know, we're, we're talking about the Rambler, sort of a utilitarian vehicle that, you know, gets from point A to point B. Nothing fancy about it, but pretty, you know, reliable old Rambler. You compare that to the AMXs and the Gremlins and the the Pacers,
0: Mike. Remember the Pacer? The Pacer. The Pacer. That was the little round thing. It yeah. Looked, looked like a turtle on four tires. <laughs> Guaranteed to draw a lot of laughs as you rambled down the street in your pacer. Yes. I guess it could pace with a turtle that or a small slow animal, but they were they were funky looking. Funky was the buzzword of the time that matched precisely the look of the pacer. The pacer. All right, Tom. Did you ever have a pacer? No, I that's where I draw the line. <laughs>
2: um, <laughs> I've caught a lot of grief over the years from my friends for being an American Motors guy. And I have owned three factory V8 Gremlins, which were pretty rare, uh, 72, 73, 74. I've had those. But um, I drew the line on the pacer. Even though you could get a 304 V8 in a pacer and therefore pull it out and put a 401 straight in it, same uh, exterior dimensions on all the V8 blocks from the late 60s and early 70s. The difference, you know, was only the bore and stroke internally. Um, the Pacer was an interesting vehicle. The passenger door was longer than the driver's door, and that allowed people to exit from the back seat on the curb, so they could get out on the sidewalk easier. Um, had a lot of uh, green uh, greenhouse. Uh, You know, a lot of glass, good visibility. It was originally designed for the Wankel rotary engine. There was a time when uh, there was a thought that uh, the Wankel rotary engine uh, would be an up-and-coming drivetrain. But the torque was not enough to move. A fully loaded Gremlin could weigh almost 4,000 pounds. And that's why people hot rod the Gremlin. The Gremlin's very light. The Hornet is very similar to the Gremlin. It's also very light. Instead of a hatchback, the Hornet has a trunk. But the Pacer uh, was kind of a heavy car, and uh just really not favored uh, for drag racing, uh, although I do know a guy who worked for American Motors, and he put in a big block Pontiac, which makes a lot of torque, and so he could move it off the line and, and go down the quarter mile pretty quickly. But no, you know, there are some things in life you just have to draw a line, and that line exists between the Gremlin and the Pacer for me. <laughs>
0: Well, I have a good AMC story. All right, let's hear it, Mike. As I've mentioned in a few of the shows in the, over the past 10 years, I was a police officer in the 70s in a, in a city south of Los Angeles, and we were introduced to the stunning Matador. Now, I say stunning because in 1973 with the 401 Matador, they were really stunning, uh, every cop loved driving the Matador. They had the power, they had the dependability, they had the flexibility, and then the nightmare came the next year in 1974 with the new style Matador, also known as the Coffin Nose Matador, which were basically overpriced family sedans with very little brake efficiency. To me, that was probably signaled the downfall of AMC to go from something that AMC was the mat- 73, 72 Matadors were black and white hot rods. They were great. The 74 Matador was, that was it. That was the end of police departments buying AMC products. And did, have you ever had a Matador, Tom? What's the matter? That's a Matador.
2: That's no, a matador. I never had a Matador. I've driven a Matador. A friend of mine in Sweden. Um, asked me to drive up to Sacramento, and he had purchased a Matador, and I drove it down for him, and I shipped it to him along with some other cars, you know, in a, in a big sea uh, container. So I've, I've driven a Matador. Because of your law enforcement experience uh, with the Matador, that reminds me of a really wonderful film, the original Gone in 60 Seconds by uh, uh, Halicki. And in that movie, which was shot in large part in Long Beach they had some Matador police cars. And if you look at the VIN number, there's a Z, like Zebra, and that means it had the 401 engine. But, of course, the police package was even on top of that, made it you know extra special. And um, another uh, reference to American Motors law enforcement vehicles is, in our hobby, there are a couple of people who have Alabama State Trooper Javelins. And in Alabama, the state troopers bought some 401 V8 javelins as highway patrol pursuit vehicles, and uh, a couple of those are documented and restored and just really special in the hobby, the Alabama state trooper javelins.
1: Wow, that's amazing. Tom, how big of a following do American Motors vehicles have? I mean... We're talking about Javelins and uh, the Gremlins, but there's also, I'm sure there are people that also collect Ramblers and the more of a family sedan type cars. How big of a following do American Motors vehicles have today? Are there clubs? Are there organizations?
2: Yes, the primary club, AMO, is American Motors Owners Association, and that's a wonderful organization. It's not based on just one person who leads everything. But it really is a group effort. They put on an international show each summer that uh, happens in different cities. Kenosha, Wisconsin, is our, our hallowed home ground because that's where the plant, the big plant, was uh, where a lot of our, our vehicles were made. But uh, AMO has a very nice uh, magazine-style uh, newsletter, which uh, is available online as well as in print. Uh, they have a website, uh, the shows. That is the AMC organization that really stands out. In the forefront, in my mind, Uh, there are some others. There's AMC Races, uh, which replaced another uh, club where the person leading it uh, passed away. And uh, they specialize in drag racing. So if you're really into drag racing, like in uh, Illinois, there's a track where they meet every year and they have a big AMC drag race event. Uh, You know, that's a great organization. Um, There's also a uh, early, uh, like a Rambler Club. I don't want to say the acronym, the letters for it. I might get it wrong. But there is a, a Rambler a Rambler Club. But I've been a member of AMO uh, for a few decades, and uh, that is the main one to take an interest in.
1: And is there any sort of a crossover, uh, Tom, for example, between uh, an American Motors Club and is there like a Nash Club? Is there a Hudson Club? Do Are there... Are they individual clubs, or would it be a crossover where you might have people that have AMCs and they have maybe a Nash or a Hudson?
2: Uh, yeah, especially that, that early Rambler club. I'm not sure if it's AMCRC. I'll have I'll have to check on the exact acronym because mm-hmm. uh, I've never been a member of that one, but the Rambler Club uh, does focus on uh, those earlier models specifically, whereas AMO uh, has a very large tent. Let's say where they throw out a cast out a big net, and uh, pretty much everything can be included in uh, AMO.
1: Yeah, Tom, and I was looking up here online. Uh, AMCRC is the International AMC Rambler Car Club. Oh, okay. So you were right on
2: that. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. It's nice to be right once in a while.
0: Yes. <laughs> you know, the, the American Motors vehicles were prominent in a lot of the TV shows, and even the movies in the 60s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. I recall the original, the original series Superman. They used quite a number of, of the, uh, the Nashes
2: Metropolitan, Lois Lane.
0: As police cars, yeah. And then moving on to the Metropolitan, that was probably one of the original commuter cars. You just speak about a secretary car that, you know, that they talk later years about the Porsche, the 914, as the secretary's Porsche. But back in the 50s, I guess all the way up to, what, maybe the early 60s, I don't know if you can clarify the dates, but the... The Metropolitan was just a cute little car, little coupe, very small, easy to park, I suppose. But I also had a neighbor, and she had the Metropolitan, and they were just cool. And you'll go to car shows nowadays, and you'll always see a couple of restored Metropolitans, and they were, I suppose they were affordable, for one. But what was this deal behind that, where it was... uh, were the owners uh, at the time, I know they're in fierce competition trying to overtake some of the market share of the big three car producers, but was that an idea probably too early for its time to get into the commuter car business?
2: Well, I'm not sure, uh, but you do remind me of uh, what I think is a very important word uh, when we talk about American Motors Corporation, and that's innovation. When you are competing against three much larger companies. And American Motors is many times referred to as the largest independent. So if you had Studebaker or some other uh, smaller manufacturer, um, the size of American Motors was less than half. I mean, it was much smaller than uh, GM, uh, Ford, and Chrysler. Uh, So they were really the underdogs, the the Rocky Balboa, trying to punch above their weight, competing against the big three. And at times, American Motors had less than 2% of the market. Uh, they had years where they did better than that, but there were some tough years, too, where, where they were really fighting an uphill battle. And uh, I kind of uh, feel connected to that idea of, of uh, biting off more than you can chew, but giving it your best effort and seeing if you could pull it off.
1: They definitely were coming in from a a sort of an underdog position than compared to the big three. Eventually, what happened, uh, Tom, to uh, American Motors? Uh, What happened to the company?
2: Well, over the years, uh, one noteworthy event was around 1970. American Motors Corporation was powerful enough to acquire Jeep. And, uh, you know, Willys, Overland, Kaiser, Heritage. And that was a really great thing for AMC to uh, combine with the Jeep brand. And years later, American Motors worked a deal uh, with Renault, the French auto manufacturer. And um, in about 1987, uh, a final uh, deal was struck where Chrysler, took over American Motors Corporation. And for years, there was some resentment because the contract stated that uh, Chrysler was supposed to keep certain uh, plants and facilities in production and certain people employed. And uh, instead, uh, some of those were closed because the penalty was – much smaller than the cost of continuing uh, the production. There's a uh, lakefront engine plant in Kenosha, Wisconsin, which Chrysler kept running for the 258 straight six uh, engine. So Chrysler did continue some of the facilities and and employees for American Motors, but uh, basically that was the end of AMC is when Chrysler took over And Chrysler, I think one of their main objectives is they wanted to acquire the Jeep brand. They wanted Jeep.
1: Very, very well regarded. Been around for many years, and I'm sure that uh, there's a lot of Jeep collectors out there as well.
0: These are niche collectors. These are people who are diehards for one particular make and model, in some instances, a particular year. We go back to the Metropolitan, I might add that 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 car was created overseas, actually, in Great Britain. And it was uh, marketed entirely toward the women market. Dodge came out a year later with a model called the La Femme. La Femme, exactly, yeah. And that was innovative at the time because in the 50s you didn't have that. You didn't have it such as today where you have segments of the culture that marketers market to. So here you have a vehicle that, number one, is you have a make, you have a model, actually AMC, a company, that's trying to compete with the big three car makers, but then they niched down and attempted to market to a certain segment of the buying public, that being the working woman. And it did quite well. It worked very well, the idea. It was just 50 years before its time. And now you have car makers who are pointing their models out to all kinds of adventurers family people you have this Subaru for the family who wants to go four wheeling on weekends you have uh, the Tesla of course for the green people and everyone between so what I'm going at fellas is the fact that I think AMC was one of the originators of the specialty market building a car and I suppose that in the early in the 50s they wanted to market to the working stiff the guy who was at the time making $400 a month because the pricing wasn't too bad. It was competitive, and you would have little uh, little extras. Even the Metropolitan had things such as the map light and the weather sensor that would adjust the heating to suit your needs. So I think they were very innovative. I think probably like a lot of other whiz-bang manufacturers of things over the years, we talk about so many different ingenious ideas that fizzled out. I think they probably just ran out of money and ideas. Since
2: you mentioned the Metropolitan, uh, an image that comes to mind is there's a gentleman who has a Nash Metropolitan race car, (laughs) and it's a pretty serious uh, deal because, you know, it's got brightly colored paint and everybody knows that you know a race car that has brightly colored paint is fast. (laughs) And uh it's got wheelie bars and a big spoiler wing on the back. And I think it's got a blown Chevy in it. And it's got a lot of power. And it's a beautiful car. I've taken pictures of it and I've seen it uh both at the Moon Eyes Christmas party at Irwindale Speedway. And also we have a great Southern California AMC Club Uh, It's not a chapter of AMO, but the other uh, AMCRC, but it's uh, SoCalAMX.net, we call the club, started by uh, Mark Melvin. And I've seen this uh, Metropolitan race car, and the thing about that car as a race car, it is a very short wheelbase. The distance between the front tires and the rear tires, that they're very close together and that doesn't give you stability. Longer wheelbases give you more stability. Uh, Gremlin has a short is a short wheelbase, but that Nash Metropolitan with a lot of power is a very squirrely ride down the drag strip because of its short wheelbase
1: wow i'll bet and i know you've been down the drag strip with uh, a number of these cars so you would know exactly how they feel going down the strip tom you have a website where you have uh some pictures of your cars and a lot of information why don't you tell us what your website is so maybe some of our listeners would like to uh go to the the internet and check that out
2: well thank you that's very kind of you my website is amx 390com amx390.com and I started that in about 2001 because if anybody ever forgot my website and they called me up and they said, Tom, what's your website? I would tell them, go out to the garage open the hood of your AMX you see your chrome air cleaner yeah? well, what's the sticker on your chrome air cleaner say? amx three ninety, and then I would say, dot .com <laughs> that's a good way to remember it
0: that's an interesting thing to keep in mind. Very. I would have confused that with the Ford 390 engine, so yes, it's good to know it's that. good to know that. Yeah. Tom, we're going to wrap up real soon here. We've we're, we run out of time. These these shows seem to run by so fast, Tom, but talk briefly, if you can, about the value today. Say somebody, one of our listeners, finds a neighbor with, an, with a javelin with 2,300 miles on it in a garage that was left there by people that moved away, whose uncle had given it to his aunt on on her 23rd birthday, and they're all dead now. What would an AMC product just give us some rough ballpark ideas on value, collector's value, and what someone could expect to pay for one?
2: Well, uh, you know, the make and model and options, you know, of course, are important in condition and everything. But if you had, I'm just going to pick a number, let's say 20,000, you could get a pretty nice American Motors product product. Even less than that, Uh, certainly more than that, but uh, if you were in the $20,000 range for a classic car, I bet we could find some good ones on uh, eBay and some other websites. Uh, The Pinnacle, In terms of price for American Motors products, uh, there were some special editions, a very patriotic company, American Motors. They made some red, white, and blue special models like the SS AMX, which were red, white, and blue and were drag race. There were special drag racing. uh, 52, 53 of those were made in cooperation with Hearst. Um, but really, the the cherry on top of American Motors was a design for a mid-engine supercar called the AMX three, and it was the third design of the AMX. The first design was the, you know, the front-engine, rear-wheel drive two-seater muscle car from sixty-eight to seventy. They made those. Then there was a design for an AMX two that didn't make it very far; just one prototype. But the AMX3, uh, one of those, there's only seven, but one of those AMX3s uh, won its class at Pebble Beach and then sold at the Goodings Auction for close to approaching $1 million. Well,
0: if if anyone out there does have an AMC product or they're looking at one or have a further interest, they can always contact you through your website or through your email, correct, Tom? Uh, You would be more than happy to answer any questions and You'd probably be more than happy to even get your checkbook out in certain situations, I'm sure. (laughs) But it's uh, amx390.com. amx390.com. That's easy on the head. Very
1: easy. It's an easy website to remember. Well, we've just about come to the end of our program for today, and we've had a wonderful time uh, visiting with Tom. And, Tom, thanks so much for joining us today. You're going to be with us for a couple more shows uh, in the upcoming weeks, but uh, we want to thank you for being here today and sharing your information about American Motors.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Ah, our pleasure. And for those of you who are out there listening, we want to remind you that uh, we would like to hear from you. If you know anything about American Motors cars or would like to ask a question, you can also ask a question of Tom through us. And our email address is galaxymoonbeamnightside at gmail dot com. That's galaxymoonbeamnightside at gmail dot com. Our website is galaxymoonbeamnightside dot com. Don't forget the Facebook page, the Galaxy Moonbeam Nightside page on Facebook, and uh, don't forget that all of our shows. Our over 225 programs now are available for your listening pleasure at iTunes and Mixcloud and on GooglePodcast.com, as well as a bunch of other podcast search engines. I'm sure if you look around, you're going to see us on some that we're not even aware of yet. So if you see us on some interesting ones, let us know. Shoot us an email. That's all the time we have for our program today. We thank you so much for joining us. Until next time, I'm Smitty. I'm Mike. And I'm Tom. And thank you for joining us on Galaxy Moonbeam Nightsight on the Galaxy Nostalgia Network. This is the Galaxy Nostalgia Network.